Thank you for tuning into the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. That would be tough. I forgot that I needed some things over here today. Just going to roll. Man, when they sing songs like Great Is Thy Faithfulness, here's, here's my frustration. Maybe you can identify with this. Like, the worship team sings it so effortlessly that I feel like I should be able to join in and it sounds good. It doesn't work that way for me anyways. And so, like, I'm standing over there and I'm thinking, man, I could sing this out loud when no one else is singing. And then I remembered that's not a gift that I have. So I just come out and do what I can do. Oh, man, I'm so glad that you are here today. How many of you were here last week for Mother's Day? Make some noise. What an incredible day last week was. Um, If you missed last week, jump on our YouTube page. Um, We had a great service. Um, Mel spoke last week. She did a phenomenal job doing that. And, And here's... Just, just so that you know, like, I already have been told a few different times, like, why doesn't she just do that every week? And then, and then I get this, like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, what do you mean? What am I going to do? They're like, well, Mel used a boat last week. What are you going to do? I'm like, sorry, I don't, I don't have a boat. And then I try to come up with things. Here's where the pressure gets to me. Like, I think of things. I was telling her stuff yesterday, and she just was quiet. I said, babe, are you thinking about what I said or it's just not a good idea and you're trying to figure out how to tell me that it's not a good idea? And she just stayed quiet. So that answered, that answered all that I needed to know. Oh, man. Well, today we are starting a, a brand new series uh, that will last us up through the month of June. Um, and this series is on the topic of shame. And we've heard this word a lot, like as kids, I remember um, doing something wrong or, or finding someone, and this is always a thing, like when you catch someone doing something wrong, you don't even have to say the word, you just, oh, shame on you. Like we do things like that, we say that, we hear that. Some of us heard that growing up way more than we got to say it to other people, And as we've gotten older, like, we've all experienced what shame feels like, and it doesn't feel like this anymore. The word has changed. There is weight underneath that word. It doesn't feel good. When I looked up in the dictionary what shame was, this is what it said, that shame is the painful feeling rising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, done by yourself or by someone else. And see, when I begin to think about shame, there are several ways that we experience it. Sometimes we experience shame because of things that we've done. We cause shame to show up. It comes from the things that we think, the stuff that we hope no one ever reads our minds. Like, like, that's a good thing that people don't have that superpower because we've thought some things that we're embarrassed and ashamed of. And and then we do things. We, we, We fall into sin, our actions, our behaviors. We struggle with addictions. We struggle with pornography. We struggle with other sin. We struggle with things that we want no one to find out because if they did, we are are 100% certain that they will not look at us the same. That shame, that shame that we've caused by what we've done. And we go on this merry-go-round of the things that we've done and we're never going to do it again. And then we do it again and we pile on more weight and more shame. We carry it with us consistently. And then there's 
other shame that, that happens because we, we feel like it's something that we should have or could have done. Some of us feel embarrassed and ashamed because our lives don't look differently than, it, than they are right now. We feel like we should have made different decisions, different choices. When we take inventory of where we are, shame. We should have, we could have. Our life isn't what we imagined it would be. We're shame. We feel shame because we aren't more than who we are, what we are, where we are. And social media seems to help us pile more and more shame because everyone else, everyone else our age, everyone else that we graduated with, all of our other friends, they have all of the things. I see it all the time. But why don't I feel like that? Why don't I have those things? Why couldn't I have made these decisions? And we pile more and more shame on things that we aren't. And then other times we experience shame because of other people. Someone took advantage of us. They abused us. We trusted them. And they took advantage of us, and now we are covered in shame because of what's been done to us. See, the room is awful quiet because shame doesn't feel like this. Shame weighs on us. And sometimes we get confused with guilt and shame. We, we try to equate them, but they are different. Guilt is not the same thing as shame. See, feeling guilty is when I feel bad for what I've done. And think about this as a parent. Most of us want our kids, when they do something wrong, we want them to know that they've done something wrong. We want them to feel that they've done something wrong. Well, why'd you do that? I don't know. Well, do you feel, uh, See, we, we want them to feel that weight of what guilt is like so that then they will come to us and tell us what they've done. They want to not feel guilty anymore. They want to come clean. They want to be able, to, we want them to be able to trust us with whatever is going on. My dad used to always ask me, you know what you did? Yes, I know what I did. And then he would always wait for the spanking to start to ask me if I feel bad about it. Yes, I will always feel bad while I'm doing the circle. You know the circle. They got you by one hand and you can't outrun it, so you just do the circle. Are you sorry for what you did? Yes, I am. I feel terrible right now. That's what guilt, guilt is about. We, we feel what we've done. We want, we want our kids to know that they can trust us with that. They can come and, and they can let us know this is what I've done. And God wants the very same thing. You see, guilt is supposed to help us go to him so that we can repent, so that we can be honest and vulnerable and let him know what's going on in our world. That's what he's hoping for. But the problem happens when guilt comes in, the enemy's like, let me handle this. Let me jump in the middle of guilt. Before we get a chance to get to repentance, the enemy tries to divert us and put shame on us. He begins to tell us that not only should we feel bad about what we did, guilt is about doing something bad. He now makes shame something that you are bad. You're not just what you, or you're not just the feeling bad about what you've done. You are what you've done. You're not, you're, you feel bad because you, you've committed sin, but the enemy slides in and he tries to make it about that thing. You are not just the thing, you are not just feeling bad. You are bad. You are a sinner. You are horrible. You should be ashamed of yourself. On and on it goes. You see, guilt is about activity. The enemy slides in and makes shame about identity. From what you've done to who you are. 
The enemy feeds us lines like we aren't any good. He tells us things like, God is tired of forgiving you for the same thing. I hope you don't pray about that again. Didn't last time, wasn't that supposed to be the last time? Didn't you tell God you would never, if he would forgive you this one time, that you would never do it again? And here you are again. You know, God's tired of this. And then he begins to sow seeds of of doubt. Like, do you even believe what you say you believe? Are you living like your life has been changed? He, He gets us to begin to think that we are the sins that we've committed. And as he piles the weight of shame on top of us, it changes our demeanor. See, shame makes you walk with your head down, live with your head down. You can't look up. You can't look around. You can't see hope. You can't imagine life being different. All you see is right where you are, and that's where you feel like you will always be. For those of us who don't feel stuck, shame has helped us to hide a little bit better. We're worried that someone is going to find out the things that we did, so we just hide. And some of us, we physically hide. We disappear. We don't answer the phone. We don't text back. We don't show up. We don't do those things because we know that someone's going to see through us. Others of us are real good at hiding in plain sight. We just pretend that things are okay. We have surface-level relationships with people around us. When they ask how we're doing, we're good. Hey, what about, nah, man, I'm good. Like, everything is fine all the time. We pretend or we hide. And then shame begins to make us feel like everybody else is better than us. Everybody else has got it figured out. The enemy will convince you that what you struggle with, no one else struggles like you struggle because you are what you struggle with. He's got you convinced that you're not just what, uh, what you struggle or you're not just the things, that now you are consumed by it. Shame is the all-consuming condition. The all-consuming, listen, the all-consuming condition that we are a disappointment to ourselves, to God, and to others. That's what he's hoping to get us to lay at, wants us to stay right in there. You see, the enemy, the devil, is always about shame on you, but God is always about shame off you. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. The enemy hopes to bury us under the weight of sin and shame. He will do whatever he has to do to keep us stuck, to keep us trapped underneath. So we need to talk about it. We need to look and find ways where we can avoid it. Or if we're stuck in shame, we need to figure out how do we get out from underneath that we need to know that the devil has this game he plays called the shame game. So let's talk about that this morning. Let's pray again. Jesus, we ask that as we get into your word this morning, that you would speak to our hearts. That, Lord, your word would give us life. It would challenge us. It would confront us right where we are. And, Lord, it would call to us. Lord, that today we would hear your voice. We would hear what you would have to say to each of us. God, anoint me as I communicate your word to your people. Help me to do it clearly and confidently so that they hear you more than they hear me. In Jesus' name, amen. So to figure out shame, to understand it better, we're going to spend some weeks on it, but we're going to start where we first see shame show up. So turn with me to the book of Genesis. We're going to start in the third chapter. 
See, at the first two chapters, we see all of creation happen. At the end of chapter 2, we see that God is saying, man, look, everything is good. And it's not just good because he made it, but it's good because he made it for us. And he was entrusting us, mankind, with responsibility of taking care of all that he had made. And everything that he had made was good. And here's what happens in chapter 3. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. That's how I imagine this conversation going. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And here's where it all begins. This is the con. The enemy shows up, and he is incredibly gifted at charming people. Well, what do you mean the enemy? We, we read about this as the serpent. Well, we know if we fast forward through Revelation, we see that in, in Revelation, the devil is called the serpent of old. We can go back to this point right here. This is where it comes from. And he is incredibly smart when it comes to this. He shows up not all scary to freak people out. He's not showing up saying crazy off-the-wall things. He shows up in a way that seems natural and normal. Now, for me, if he'd have shown up, if I'm doing something and a serpent shows up, snakes right here starting to talk, we just going to move in the other direction. He needs to show up as a puppy or something like that for me to believe to have this conversation. It's just not going to happen with the, with the snake. But however he showed up, she wasn't surprised. She wasn't afraid. She didn't run from it. Adam and Eve were both there, and they began to talk. He just casually gets into the conversation. Did God really say? Are you sure that this is what he said to you? Did he really say, notice, did he say you can't eat from any of the trees? Notice how he turned what God said to include everything. You can't eat anything here? Is that really what God said? Well, he began to sow these seeds to get her to begin to think that, could God be holding out? Is he, is he really holding out? I mean, does he have my best interest at heart? The, the enemy comes in and he's like, look at all this stuff. Can you not eat any of this? God could have gave you more. He could have let you eat everything, but he didn't. He's holding out on you. Oh, he said you couldn't do this? Mm, you know what? You probably can't trust him. The, the seeds of doubt and questioning begin to show up. And we see it so clearly in this story. But it's the same thing that he does to us. He shows up in times where we're wondering, we're hoping, we're waiting, we're doing what God has asked us to do. We're just living life. And then he's like, hey, did, are you sure that's what God said? Tell me again, did, did he say, is that what that scripture really means? Are you sure he said you can't do that? I mean, like, did he mean for you to literally not lust I, you know what, I, I wonder, I bet God would be okay if you just looked at things. You're not, you're not doing anything wrong. Like, did he really say that you can't 
just dive into this area. You're not hurting anyone. He begins to get us to question where the line is. And, well, maybe, maybe God didn't say that. Or, or maybe he jumps to this next part where we begin to think, well, these rules are to keep me from being happy. You know what? God doesn't want me to experience everything in line. That's not fair of him. He's holding back good things from me. Like, I want all of it. I want anything. If I think it, man, I want to be able to do it. We begin to think that God is keeping something from us. And he slowly turns Eve's perspective and her focus from what God had already provided to what God had prohibited. And I want you to think about this because in my Google research that I've done on trees that produce fruit, There are hundreds, if not thousands of trees that you can eat fruit or nuts from. Hundreds, if not thousands, available to eat. He was able to turn her focus from the hundreds and thousands that had already been provided to the one that was prohibited. And it wasn't like God just picked one and was like, don't eat that one because I said so. He didn't do that. He told them why. It was with good reason that they weren't supposed to. But then the enemy slides in a little bit further. God's not telling you everything. He, he's, he said that, you won't, that you'll die. You won't die. Here, here's the thing. God knows that the minute that you touch that, that you get into that, he knows that then you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like, like him. Not only is he holding out on you, but he's holding you back. God knows you could be so much more without him, but he doesn't want you to experience that power. He doesn't want you to have that kind of freedom. He's trapping you. He's not just holding out. He's holding you back. He knows that when you eat this, you'll be like him, and then you won't need him anymore. You don't need him to tell you what to do. You can make your own decisions. You're in control. You don't have to look to him for guidance. You can figure it out all on your own. He doesn't want you to have that much freedom. And then he moved. Look, the, the slope is moving quite quickly. He then talks to her about the benefits of the tree. God said you're going to die? No, 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 no. He cons her into believing that there are no consequences for disobeying God. In fact, there are benefits that God doesn't want you to know about. He began to promise promotion instead of punishment. And she was hooked. She was in it. And that's how he gets all of us. Because the enemy is not going to tempt us with something that isn't tempting. So he begins to look around, and it changes for each of us, but it starts with things that we would desire on our own. That looks good, doesn't it? You would want that. And he begins to move in those areas. And then you know what, you could probably have that. You know, God probably, he's, he's probably, this is a great area for him. We begin to doubt and deny what God has said about who we are. Is his word trustworthy? Can we count on him? Maybe he is holding out on us and then he gets us to this place where we think that there is no danger in disobedience. There is no danger in sin. And as he did with Eve, he does with us. He moves us from doing his will to our will. Because Eve was convinced. Verse 6 says, she saw that the tree was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. 
Then she gave some to her, uh, who, to her husband who was with her. Don't miss that phrase. Who was with her? And he ate it too. At the moment, at that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt what? Their eyes were opened and they felt shame. Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed leaves, fig leaves together to go for themselves. The trap is sprung. Sin has been unleashed and now they're trapped in this cycle. We're going to talk about the cycle that shame puts us in as, as we fall into sin. Because as we notice here, there's an awareness now that something has happened and it's not good. Because they felt something they had never felt before. It was shame. Sin had entered the world. They looked at where they were at right in that moment. Guilt was there and shame was right there. And when guilt shows up, oftentimes the direction we run is determined by the voice that we believe. And when you look at this story, I would say that the direction they ran was directly related to the last voice that they believed to be true. And that was the voice of the enemy. So they chose to not run to God, but from God. And we might look at this and be like, well, if that was me, I, I wouldn't do that. But man, when that weight, when the realization that what you thought was true, what you thought was going to help you, what you thought was going to make you feel better, when the reality is that it doesn't do that, the weight of shame often is overwhelming for all of us. What we've done crushes us. And then we begin to hear thoughts, some of them our own, some of them come from the enemy that we should have known better. We should have known the whole time that this is where we were going to end up. You know what? People are going to know as soon as they see you. You're such a horrible person. Man, your family's going to be embarrassed of you. They're not even going to love you. Who's going to love you now that this is who you are? Notice how it went from activity to identity over and over again. That's how we play right into the cycle of shame. And in our response to the sin that we're trapped in, we do what Eve did. What Adam did, we try to cover it up. They looked around for what was closest and they grabbed some leaves to cover up what they had done. They did their very best to cover it and conceal it. Hey, maybe God won't notice the leaves. Hey, those of you who messed up stuff at your house, you put holes in walls and you thought maybe they won't notice. I'll flip the seat cushion over on the other side. They'll never notice. We begin to think of ways to cover up the stuff that we've done just like they did. And when our initial thoughts of covering up doesn't work, we begin to even dig ourselves deeper. You ever done something wrong and then lied about doing something that was wrong? And then continue to tell the lie like you got in so deep you were unsure where the truth actually was. Because what you thought was going to help you didn't help you. So you had to lie and cover that up. And you had to keep telling that lie over and over. And maybe the next time it will feel okay. I'll, I, once I believe it then it will be, no, 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 we just dug ourselves deeper. Sometimes the enemy would even convince us right then like you, you, it's just how it felt the first time. Do it again. It will be okay to feel better. You did it wrong. Try it again. 
And we, we try this next sin hoping that, that it will make us feel better, but it doesn't work. And when covering it up doesn't work, then we hide from God. A few verses later, we see that they hide in some trees and some bushes. And here's how I imagine this. Like, I imagine them hiding like this. And I giggle when I see that. Like, I laugh at this part of the story because I'm thinking, really? There's only y'all two in the garden. God's not going to be like, oh, my bad. I was looking for somebody else. He's looking for you. And what's funny is I think that, like, they turned into little kids. You played hide-and-seek with kids before who didn't know how to play. What'd they do? Because if they can't see you, they think that you can't see them. And we laugh at Adam and Eve, and we think it's funny that they would even consider that until it's us sitting in the bushes. Then it was the best idea we ever had. Let's hide over here. You see, what happens in those moments that we don't realize is that shame then robs us of the feeling that not only can God cover our sin, but that he wants to cover our sin. We, we begin to think, we, we can't fathom any kind of day, any kind of moment where God would see what we've done and meet it with forgiveness. We feel like what we've done is beyond forgiveness. We've committed the unforgivable sin, whatever that looks like. We, we know that that's us. Shame has convinced us that God wants no part in us at all. Shame convinces us that whatever it is that we've done, that who we've became right now can only be hidden and covered up. No one can know really what's going on. In the next verses, God begins to have conversation with them. He confronts them where they are. And I want you to read this story a little bit later this week and notice who God came to first. He called to Adam. Well, that seems unfair. We don't see Adam really in the story, right? This is Eve until we get to where the fruit shows up. She gives it to her husband who was with her. And God calls him, brings him to the front. Now what what happened? And here's what we all do. It's not my fault. It's not not my fault at all. (laughs) He, He shifts the blame completely. He gets so desperate in his shame that he blames God. I didn't do anything. It was Eve. You know, the woman that you gave me, she did this. God, why would you do this to me? You knew that I I could be tempted in this. Why did you give me someone who would? If we back up, he was like, what a gift. What a woman. And now he's like, what would you do to me? Take her back. He tried to make it seem like he was completely innocent. I didn't have a part in this. She did it all. What was I supposed to do? Look how fine she is. I just did what she said. <laughs> Blame goes on. And so God looks at Eve and she was like, man, it wasn't me. It was a serpent. He tricked me. He said all these things. I fell for it over and over again. We blame people left and right. And, and then, like, can you imagine what Adam and Eve talked about that night? After they were done talking with God, I can't believe you threw me under the bus in front of God. 
I don't even know what a bus is, but you threw me underneath it. <laughs> the first argument that they have is in front of God. Like, some of us are embarrassed when other people see us arguing. Uh, some friends of us call it marital discussion. That's what they call it. And they have this right in front of God. It's so crazy. Sorry, I just rabbit trailed for a moment. When we're stuck blaming other people, it keeps us right where we are. It keeps us in this same cycle of shame. We're never going to get out from underneath it because it's never my fault. If I'm so busy pointing at what other people did and, well, I only did it because they did it and they really made me do it. You know, I didn't have a choice. I just went along. I just did. When we do that, we're so busy pointing out everyone else's wrongs and the things that have been done, we never take responsibility or acknowledge our role in the sin that was committed. And the enemy is happy for us to stay in that spot. He doesn't care if you blame him. He'll wave high as you blame him. Just keep blaming him. Keep staying right there. Keep staying stuck. He knows that if you're blaming him, you're right there. You're not owning it. You're not asking for repentance. You're not asking for forgiveness. You're not doing any of that. But we don't have to stay stuck in this cycle. I want to give you three quick, easy thoughts of how to get out of this, how to avoid it. When we see the, the pattern from the con into the cycle, I just want to give you three quick thoughts on how we can get out of it. It's be humble, be vulnerable, and be responsible. Well, that doesn't make sense. So what is, how, how do you get them to, to get involved with the fruit? How do you get them to take it, bite it, pass it around? How, God's holding out on you. He's not providing for you. You can't trust him. You need to be God. The temptation was to be God in your own life. But if I just, if I would just stay being a child, if I would just be humble and say, you know, man, I can't figure out my own life. Why would I think that I can run everything for everyone else? Why would I think that I could be responsible for like what God does in my own life? Man, I, I have a heart. I can't get dressed without asking Mel what to put on. If I'm humble, if I can take inventory of all of the things how God has already provided for me, if I would just remind myself how good it feels to be taken care of, the responsibility of provision is not on me if God is my source. Not just in the miraculous moments, but in the everyday moments. If he's the shepherd, that makes me the sheep, and it's okay if he's the shepherd and you're the sheep. And then we talk about being vulnerable instead of hiding. What if we allowed our hearts to be open? What if we prayed things like, God, search me, know me, point out the things that I've done wrong, help me to walk after you. And those are tough, hard prayers to pray. But the opposite of that is staying hidden and hiding and trying to cover things up. James tells us that if, if we're vulnerable with God and with the right people, it brings healing. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person, person has great power and produces wonderful results. Oftentimes we take the second half of that. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. But what's the first part of that verse say? can have the second part look at all of it in the context which it was given some of us need to find some people that we can just do life with 
Some people that we can let know that we're struggling, that we need prayer, that we need them to show up for us. Not the people that are going to gossip and say that it's prayer. Be smart about who you let in, but we need to be vulnerable with God and vulnerable with a few people. And then when it comes to blame, we need to be responsible. Here's the, the thing that I struggle with a lot in this story and, and where we need to be responsible. How hard is it to take the fruit from the tree if you're nowhere near the tree? See, but some of us, where's the line? Right? There is danger right here. I'll take a step back. We want to know where that line is. How close can I get? Can I, can I balance? Did God really say? We need to be responsible with where we're at. How close to sin am I getting? I need to be honest and open about that. Because if I'm way back here and I trip and I fall, there's very little chance that I fall off of the edge. But if I'm up here confident in who I am, confident that I've never fallen off the stage, I'm going to move back now because I'm talking about it way too much. <clears throat> that would be the, it, look, the day that I fall off of the platform, service is over. You don't have to wait for any other portion <laughs> to happen. Like if I eat it, we're done. There's no recovery from that. I can't tie that into a sermon. I'll try, but you don't want to hear that. Just go home. So we need to be responsible. Pay attention to where you are. Own where you are. If you know certain people, certain places, certain things are temptation, stop going around them. But what, no, stop going around them. Be responsible. And when you mess up, own it. This is what I did, God. You saw it already. I don't want to stay stuck here, God. Can you forgive me? I just want to, here's, here's what I did. I don't have to stay stuck in sin and shame. I don't have to stay buried. And here's the part that's scary, like being responsible and owning, being vulnerable, being humble. All of that is scary because it is the moment where we're in front of God. That conversation or confrontation is what scares us the most. What is God going to say? Well, let's look at their interaction a little bit closer. Verse 8 says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? Do you see how sin turned their friendship into something to be feared? That any other time they would hear God walking they would go to him. They would go for an evening stroll. But after sin, they hid from him. They were certain that when they met him this time, they wouldn't like how he came at them. He would be so upset. There would be this horrible conflict. But instead, instead we see it's not this huge confrontation where condemnation it is, is involved it's simply a call. I want you to pay attention to the wording of these verses. God came walking, not stomping. 
God came walking, not sprinting in to catch them in their sin. He came walking just like normal. He came walking not to condemn them. I believe that he came walking in to let them know that he's there just like he was before they sinned. I'm right here. I'm the same person right here. Look, I'm just walking. Where are you at? He wanted to be with them just like he had always been. He showed up just like he had always done. He didn't abandon them. In fact, he made his way to where they were. No one knows how big the garden was or where they were located, but God walked right where they were. His questions weren't to heap condemnation on them. His questions were to draw them out of where shame and sin had driven them. He had compassion for where they were. Now, that didn't mean that there weren't consequences to their decision because he did walk through some consequences. There are always consequences to sin, but that's not where he left it. He loved them too much. There was judgment there was also compassion because right after he lets them know that there are consequences to sin, he then covers their sin way better than they could have covered it. He sacrifices an animal and places his skin on Adam and Eve, foreshadowing the cost of sin, foreshadowing that at one day there would be someone who would come and set things right, who would offer us a covering that would take care of sin and shame once and for all, and his name is Jesus. In all of the judgment and the consequences, there was hope being delivered as well. And we need to get to a place where instead of running from God, we run to him. See, we run, we run away from him because of the fear of what we've done, because of the lies that we believed. But remember, they were lies that you believed. God still cares. He is still there. And you can go back to the third chapter of your Bible and see that God has and always will seek out Sinners, What did Jesus say? The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to kick them out and run away from them. He came to run to them. It's what we see God do in the garden. It's what we see Jesus do. He is looking for us. He wants to redeem us. He wants to pull us out of the darkness that shame has driven us to. He wants to restore us. And he may ask some questions like, where are you? Where have you been? Those questions aren't to bring about condemnation, but to slowly draw you out to the realization that where you are is not where you're supposed to be. That the realization of where you are can lead to confession. Because once we allow ourselves to come out, we'll find that we can trust him that we can give him all of our sin, all of our shame. And when we stop hiding, we will find his grace and mercy and forgiveness and love are on the other side of that confession. The enemy wants to keep shame on us, but God is all about shame off you. Would you stand with me as, as we get ready to respond 
just close your eyes for a moment, not so that you can't see what's going on, but just for a moment where you can kind of shut everyone else out. Listen to God. Maybe you're here today and God is calling your name. Hey, where are you? I want a relationship with you. You've been running. You've been looking everywhere else. You've been hoping that this thing or that thing or that person would fill the hole that's in your heart and in your life and it's made it worse. Today, maybe he's asking where you are so that you can find relationship with him. You see, God knows the weight of what you've been carrying around. He knows the weight of sin and shame. He knows the, the cost of sin and that's why he sent Jesus to pay it. So that when he asked where you were, you could respond and he could exchange your sin, your shame with Jesus' righteousness. And here's the incredible thing about God's forgiveness. He doesn't just forgive. He chooses to forget. He does what we can't do. So tomorrow, if, if you give your life to Jesus today and he wipes your slate clean, he forgives you for everything that you've done. If tomorrow you mess up and you say, man, I did it again. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm not keeping tabs. What sin? When I look at you, I see my son. I put his righteousness over you like a blanket, like a coat. I don't see your past anymore. I see your future. I see who I created. He chooses to forgive and forget. He chooses to cover your sin. He chooses to give you all things new. If anyone is in Christ, they are new creation. Old things have passed away and all things are new. And maybe that's you today. Today you need a relationship with God. You don't have one or Maybe you had one and it's kind of fallen by the wayside. If that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you. Come out of where you are. Where, where are you? If that's you today and you hear God calling you, you say, Pastor Kevin, man, I need a relationship with Jesus. Would you just raise your hand, make eye contact with me? Who else? Yeah. I'm going to ask if you raised your hand or you should have to come out from where you're sitting, standing in a way to physically represent what you're doing with God. I just want you to meet me down here at the front. If that was you, you said, Pastor Kevin, man, I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to restart. I need it. I need a relationship with Jesus. There are about three people that raised their hand. Just meet me down here at the front. We're just going to wait for a few moments and let the enemy convince you that where you are is where you need to stay. Take a step towards Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Who else? Who else? Who else?
else. We're going to wait a couple more minutes. You can come out. It's okay. Jesus is calling. Now to the rest of us. I wonder. I wonder if there's some of us in the room that the moment the word shame was spoken, you felt it. And the enemy has convinced you to cover, to hide. You've been stuck in the cycle of shame. I wonder if you could hear God asking you, where are you? I have more to give you than what you're settling for. The worship team is going to start singing for our response time. If that's you today, if you've been struggling with shame, the weight that it feels like today is your day, you can come out from under, you can break free, come and bring it to God. You can step out of your seat, you can kneel where you are, whatever it is, but don't, don't miss your opportunity to come out of hiding. The devil the enemy of your soul wants to keep shame on you. God wants to get that shame off you this morning. So if he's speaking to you while they're singing, find a space and respond. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. We would love to hear your story and have you partner with us financially as we work to spread the life-changing story of Jesus. You can do this at newvisiongrandview.com.